my, my thoughts coming into today kept coming back to Holy Week. And, and by that I mean the last week of Jesus Christ's life on this earth as a man before he went to the cross before resurrection that week. And I know the, the calendar, our calendar puts this all over the place. But, but it doesn't matter. To me, I know that this biblical account is fact. And child of God, you would say that too. Because without this record that we have of His death, burial, and resurrection, where would we be? And I've said the, the, the most, to me, the most important dates in, in human history or the times in human history is, is one, the birth of Christ, Emmanuel, God with us, God coming and being born in a manger in the form of a human man. And then the next being, I believe, the death of Christ upon the cross. Then we have His resurrection. And the next most important event that will come to the face of this earth will be His return when He comes back. And so today we're going to spend some time, and, and I pray we're, we're not going to cover just a tiny piece this morning, and it's going to take me some time to cover even a tiny piece. So I, I pray that, that during this week, because again, you're going to see all kinds of stuff out Stuff in the stores, Easter, Easter Bunny, all this. To me, it's Resurrection Sunday. Resurrection, the, the, the risen Lord. That's what I want to proclaim. And to tell others, do you know what this is about? Do you know why there's this crazy holiday that's put on this calendar? Well, it was put there because of a man named Jesus. Because of who he was and because of what he did. And so I see these times as opportunities to share the gospel of Jesus Christ. And as you go, if you go through the four gospels, I want you also to pay very close attention to how much space is taken up talking about this week. You may have never paid too much attention to it, but you will be amazed at the amount that is given to the writing of this singular week in the life of Christ. So we know that Jesus had been teaching and preaching. We know that at this time that Jesus and his disciples were making their way to Jerusalem. We know that they were going to participate in the Passover meal and that that would be in the upper room. And we know that on their journey to Jerusalem, Jesus had been performing many miracles. And then the question may be, well, why? Why, why did Jesus... Do so many miracles. Why did he do that? And I always bring it down to this. To give evidence and witness of who he truly was. Because we know Nicodemus said, who, who could do such things except they be from God? And, and others would say, who could do such things except for God? And so he was bearing witness to who he was to prove that he was Emmanuel, to prove that he was God with us. And we're going to talk about one miracle. And before we even get to that, let me just pray one more time. Heavenly Father, as we come now to Your Word, I pray, Lord, just pour out Your Spirit upon us. 
Father, help us to learn more of You, to learn more of Christ, to learn more of who we are in Christ and the witness that we are called to be here in this earth. So Lord, equip us. Equip us this morning that we may go out and share the love of Christ with others. And Father, should there be someone who would listen to this sermon that is yet lost, that is without Christ, that Lord, by Your grace and mercy, that You would perform a miracle that only You can do. Open blinded eyes, breathe life into death, and give them spiritual life. And it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen. We're going to start in John, the 11th chapter. Now we're going to start down in verse 45. And, and I will leave for your reading later uh, to read the first 44 verses, because this, you will know, is talking about Lazarus. Uh, Jesse talked about Mary and Martha this morning. Well, this all ties, ties in with that. So we know by this point, as we get to verse 45, that, that Jesus has already raised Lazarus from the dead. And this, this is a picture of a resurrection power of Christ. Now, I believe that this is but a precursor of that which was to come at the tomb of Jesus in just a few short days. So this gives us a picture of resurrection power. Now, what was the response to Lazarus being raised from the dead? That's what I want us to look at as we begin here this morning. Begin at verse 45, we're going to read through 53. I'll be reading from the New King James Version this morning. Then many of the Jews who had come to Mary, this is Mary, the brother of Lazarus, and had seen the things Jesus did, believed in Him, But some of them went away to the Pharisees and told them the things Jesus did. Then the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered a council and said, What shall we do? For this man works many signs. If we let him alone like this, everyone will believe in him, and the Romans will come and take away our place, our nation. Now what's he talking about? If we let this keep going, the Romans are going to come, they're going to take our temple, they're going to take our people, they're going to to do away with our authority, our power. That's what the religious leaders were afraid of. And one of them, Caiaphas, being high priest that year, said to them, you know nothing at all, nor do you consider that it is expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and not that the whole nation should perish. They, they, they knew. They, they knew their scripture. That a Messiah would come. But they're not looking at Jesus. At this time they're still looking at, oh we're going to lose the temple, we're going to lose their power, we're going to lose all of this. Now this he did not say on his own authority, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Jesus would die for the nation, and not for that nation only, but also that he would gather together in one the children of God who were scattered abroad. Then from that day on, listen, they plotted to kill him. And Jesus continues toward Jerusalem, continues toward his very death and, and as you will, will read Christ and his disciples are coming into Bethphage a, a little village on the Mount of Olives and, and up ahead only about two miles away in Jerusalem there's a great 
group of people that's there. Uh, it's estimated that somewhere between two and three million people have gathered in Jerusalem. It's Passover. And I, I was doing some other listening and and uh, uh, of, of one who talked about the number of lambs that were slaughtered during this week in history. Some quarter of a million, you know, estimated from the number of people that were there. But the Lamb of God was coming. The one true sacrificial Lamb was coming. So the word got around. Jesus had been causing quite the stir as he had been traveling and performing these miracles, especially with Lazarus. And so here are these people that have heard of this miracle worker, and many have gathered as they have heard he's, he's coming. He's coming to town. And they wanted to see this miracle worker. And, and they didn't want to just see the miracle worker. They wanted to see this man who had received this awesome miracle of being raised from the dead. They wanted to see Lazarus too. Look in John 12, verses 9-11. through 11. Now a great many of the Jews knew that He was there, that Jesus was there. And they came, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus whom he had raised from the dead. So they wanted to come, come see this one who had been raised from the dead. You know, I, I read another, another story where they changed the name of Bethany to, to a name that meant Lazarus. They changed the name of the town because of Lazarus. And so here are these, that uh, uh, not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests plotted to put Lazarus to death also. Because on account of him, many of the Jews went away and believed in Jesus. We can't have this. So now they're plotting to kill Jesus. <laughs> they're plotting to kill Lazarus to get rid of the evidence of resurrection power. Do you see that? Oh, we can't have this man going around talking about resurrection power. And so now let, let's, let's start the account near Jerusalem at Bethphage in Matthew 21, first nine verses. Now when they drew near Jerusalem and came to Bethphage at the Mount of Olives, then... Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go into the village opposite you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Loose them and bring them to me. And if anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord has need of them, and immediately he will send them. All this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken by the prophet, saying, Tell the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, lowly and sitting on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So the disciples went and did as Jesus commanded them. They brought the donkey and the colt, laid their clothes on them, and and set him on them. Let me pause it just for a minute. Now, if you, if you read all, all the Gospels, you, you get little 
bits and pieces that one writer will put in that perhaps another one didn't. And that doesn't, it doesn't mean that one was right and one was wrong. They're all telling their story as what they saw. And as, as the Lord inspired them, they put their personality, they put their remembrance, they, they still moved along by the Spirit. They put in different pieces of the story and you can put them all together. And, and we know that, that it happened, that, that they went. And here's this donkey that's, uh, uh, the, this foal that's tied and they go loosen it. And, oh, hey, what are you doing? Can you imagine that? Well, what do you what do you think you're doing? Taking taking my my foal. The Lord has need. <laughs> the Lord has need in him. And and the Spirit of the Lord was moving, wasn't it? The Spirit of the Lord was moving. Yes, take him. Take him. Verse eight. And a very great multitude spread their clothes on the road. Others cut down branches from the trees and spread them on the road. Then the multitudes who went before and those who followed cried out, saying, Hosanna to the Son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Why were they cheering? Hosanna, Hosanna. Lord, save us. Blessed is the one the Lord has sent to save us. See here, the, the question has to be asked, save them from what? Because they had a wrong understanding of who Jesus was. They were looking for someone to save them from Roman oppression, to become the victor over the Romans and bring peace on earth. And understand this, that, that many of these people were just thrill-seekers, they were just there as part of the crowd. They weren't committed to Jesus like Mary and Martha. And, and on the other hand, they were not hostile to Jesus either like the religious leaders. They were just in the middle there. Can I say this? They were lukewarm. And what of those who are lukewarm? Not committed, not anything, just there. Revelation, I will spew you out of my mouth. There were many here that, that were in that category. But we know this. We know this from biblical record that many, many, many of those who were there on the streets that day as Jesus was riding in on, on that little donkey and they were going, Hosanna, Hosanna, in just a few short days, those same people will be standing in the streets crying out, Crucify! Crucify Him! And why? Here's why. And this still goes on today. Because the Jesus that they had formed in their brain didn't come through with what they wanted. And that still happens today. Because people have made a Jesus of their own liking. And when, when that Jesus doesn't follow through to give them, give them, give them all the things that they're asking for, then crucify Him. It still goes on. In false religions all over the place today. That's why when you talk to somebody, oh yes, I love Jesus. It's kind of important to know what Jesus they're talking about, isn't it? Was this the Jesus of the Bible? Is this Jesus, the Son of God that came to give Himself as, as a sacrifice for sin? Or is this the Jesus that you've made up? Is this the Jesus of a false religion? 
That is not the true Jesus of the Bible. So here comes Jesus, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey. Why? Well, we've had record of that, and the reason is from Zechariah. We can go ahead and read that, Zechariah, the ninth chapter, 9 and 10. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. This was the name given to the people of God. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. (laughs) Shout. Why? Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So, so shout, O people of God, because your king is coming, you see. I will cut off the chariot of Ephraim and, and the horse from Jerusalem. The battle bow shall be cut off. He shall speak peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. So what was the meaning but we know prophecy had talked of that, of, of being riding. What was the meaning of riding in, in to a city on a donkey? It meant that this king was coming as a matter of peace. He, he wasn't riding a war horse. He wasn't coming for battle, but he was riding a donkey. Not, not as a sign of surrender, but as coming to make peace. That was Jesus, wasn't it? He came to make peace. Zechariah said, He shall speak peace to the nation. But the peace that Jesus came to bring was not the perceived peace the people were looking for. Again, looking for that earthly peace to be set free from Roman oppression. Look in Luke 19, verse 37 and 38. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. Now I believe, you see you see a little bit of difference in, in Luke. That, that Luke is making it, plain in his account that Jesus is coming as a peacemaker. And he says, a peace in heaven. Remember, Jesus came to bring peace between God and man. To reconcile us to God. Romans 5, verse 1 and 2. This is what we've been studying, going through over and over and over again in the book of Romans. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. And and there is no other way to have peace with God than through Jesus Christ. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom also we have access by faith into the grace in which we stand and rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. We we have access to God in this grace, and we rejoice and rejoice. In Him. Let me spend some time just talking about this. But before faith 
Were we at peace with God? No. No. We, we were all enemies of God. We were children of wrath, unable to please God, unable to do anything that would please Him. In Ephesians 2, verses 1 through 3. And you, He made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. This is those who are now born again. In which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience, among whom also we all once conducted ourselves in the lust of the flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, just as the others. We had no peace with God. In Colossians 1, verses 19 through 22. For it pleased the Father that in Him, in the Lord, in Christ, all the fullness should dwell, and by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. To be reconciled to God, to be brought into a peace relationship with God. And by Him to reconcile all things to Himself. By Him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of His cross. And you, who once were alienated enemies and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now He has reconciled in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy and blameless and above reproach in his sight. That's why Christ came to bring peace. Once again, in, in Ephesians 2, verses 13 through 19. I love reading Ephesians 2. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Thank the Lord, child of God. For He Himself is our peace, who has made both one and has broken down the middle wall of separation, having abolished in His flesh the enmity, that is the law of commandments obtained, contained in ordinances, so as to create in Himself one new man from the two, thus making peace. And that he might reconcile them both to God in one body through the cross, thereby putting to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off and to those who were near. For through him we both have access by one spirit to the Father. Now therefore you are no longer strangers and foreigners, but fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Blessed be the name of the Lord who has come to save us. <laughs> it is only through the work of the cross that we may be at peace with God. No other way but Jesus. As a child of God, can you fathom that? Can you fathom the love, the kindness, the mercy that has been granted to you? We were all enemies of God, but love and mercy found us. <laughs> Titus 3. Verses 3 through 7. Because here is a picture of us again. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasure, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. That was all us. But... Verse 4, I, I love these passages. Here's the turn around. 
here's the turn. But when the kindness and the love of God our Savior toward man appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us through the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom He poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by His grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. See, Jesus fulfilling prophecy, riding into Jerusalem on a donkey to symbolize Him coming to bring peace. So the crowd cheered, they had the right words, didn't they? They had the right message. Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. They cried out the right message, but we know so many, many, many of them had the wrong understanding. Let me ask you this. Did the, did the disciples understand what was going on? No. No. And Jesus had told them over and over and over again, let's look at a, at a few of those of those times. Let's look. This is the disciples. This is the ones that walked with him in Mark. We're going to look at Mark eight, Mark nine, Mark ten. Look at this. Mark eight thirty one. And he, Jesus, began to teach them, the disciples, that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes, and to be killed, and after three days rise again. Mark nine thirty one thirty two. For he, for Jesus, taught his disciples and said to them, The Son of Man is being betrayed into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And after he is killed, he will rise the third day. But they did not understand this saying and were afraid to ask him. So they, they knew they didn't understand, but they didn't want to ask him. Let's go to Mark 10, verse 33 and 34. Now they were on the road. Jesus and his disciples, they were on the road going up to Jerusalem, and Jesus was going before them, and they were amazed. And as they followed, they were afraid. Then he took the twelve aside again and began to tell them the things that would happen to him. Behold, we're going up to Jerusalem, and a son of man, he's talking of himself, will be betrayed to the chief priests and to the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and scourge him and spit on him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. Within these three texts, three chapters, 8, 9, and 10, Jesus openly, clearly, and plainly stated at least these four things. That he was going to suffer many things. He was going to be rejected by the Jewish religious authorities, the chief priests and scribes. He was going to be killed. He would die. And that he would rise from the dead in three days. And also... I want you to notice, because I always think this is very important, that Jesus told his disciples that these things must happen. I don't know if you caught that when we read that in that 8th chapter. These things must happen. He began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He must suffer. He must be rejected. He must be killed. It, it, that little article must means it is of necessity this is required this must happen why 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 must all this happen to to complete the task the mission the the work that he had come to do and what was that mission in mark 10 we know it is in verse 45 
For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give His life a ransom for many. That's why He came. That's why He came. He came to be our Redeemer, to pay the ransom for that which was holding us captive. You see, our sin had us bound in chains of iniquity under the penalty of God's holy wrath, and we were powerless to free ourselves. No one can pay their own debt. No one. The punishment for sin before Almighty God was death. And if Jesus was to save His people from their sin, a payment, a ransom had to be made. And so these events had to happen. And Jesus is explaining and explaining these things must happen. And I know I've preached sermon in particular looking just at John 3, 16, in, in that passage there. Let's read verses 14 uh, through 17 in John 3. And I know I've, I've talked about this many times in the past. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so, and here's that article, must, must of necessity, has to happen. Even so, must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. And and we'll recall, from, from as, as John is talking here, that, that he refers back to Numbers 21, you can put your note there if it's been a while since you've read this. It's in Numbers 21 where, where this was uh, the, the snake on the pole that, that uh, Moses had fashioned and lifted up so that those who were, were dying from the curse might look to that that was lifted up and be saved. A picture of Christ. A picture of Christ. Because we're all dying because of the curse of sin that is upon us. And how, how is anyone to be saved? By looking to the one who was lifted up. Looking to him that was lifted up on the cross. Jesus became a curse. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21. For he, for God made him Jesus. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in him. What happened on the cross is that God made Jesus to be sin. Jesus bore our sin upon Himself. He takes upon Himself the very wrath of God that we might receive the cure, that we might go free, that we might have eternal life. We, we know, Galatians 3, verses 13 and 14, we know this from what Paul says here. Christ has redeemed us. Child of God, you've been redeemed. If you're born again, you've been redeemed. Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus, that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. He became a curse. He became sin. And that is the curse that is still upon the earth. Upon everyone who is born on this planet. Born in sin. And apart from a saving faith in Jesus Christ, they will face judgment 
in their sin. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. See, without His suffering, without His death, there would be no ransom paid. And where would we be? These things must happen. Let's go to Luke, the ninth chapter, verses 44 through 45. Jesus spoke to his disciples. Let these words sink down into your ears, for the Son of Man is about to be betrayed into the hands of men. But they did not understand this saying, and it was hidden from them so that they did not perceive it. And they were afraid to ask him about this saying. See, they didn't understand the betrayal. They didn't understand why Jesus was going to Jerusalem. Instead, what were they concerned about? What was their concern? What was the thought? What was their thought? Well, let's keep reading. Verse 46 through 48. Now remember what Jesus had just said. He just said, I'm going to be betrayed. He just told all this. And, and here's, here's, here's where they're at. Then a dispute arose among them as to which of them would be greatest. And Jesus, perceiving the thought of their heart, took a little child and set him by him and said to them, Whoever receives this little child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. For he who is least among you, least among you all will be great. See, it seems the disciples were kind of like the crowd that was saying, Hosanna, Hosanna. They were looking for an earthly kingdom and they was wanting to know where I'm going to be in this new hierarchy, in this new government, in this new regime that's going to take over. You know, they were arguing, trying to position to see who would have the the greater, higher rank. They didn't understand the, the true mission of God, but Jesus did in verse, drop down now to verse 51. This 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 had just happened. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go, and I'm gonna be. I'm gonna be betrayed. They're gonna kill me, but I'll rise again. And here they are arguing of who's gonna get the higher rank in this earthly kingdom. And here, just a couple of verses from that. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him, for Jesus to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem. Now, why did that affect me there, too? Because I believe that within God's calendar, God's timing, now's the time. When it came to pass, when the time had come, who who set that time? God. God. The time fixed for the suffering and death of our Savior had come. Jesus knew that. Jesus knew that. And yet He steadfastly set His face to go to Jerusalem to die. 
here the disciples were arguing, having these visions of grandeur dancing in their head. And Jesus had a different vision. He had a vision of suffering and death. The disciples saw Jerusalem, and and in their mind they, they saw glory and victory coming. But Jesus saw a cross, and he, and he set His face to go to Jerusalem. In Luke 18, verses 31 through 33, And He took the twelve aside and said to them, Behold, we are going up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man will be accomplished. For He will be delivered up to the Gentiles, and will be mocked and insulted and spit upon They will scourge him and kill him. And the third day he will rise again. See, Jesus Jesus knew what lay ahead, yet he steadfastly set his face to go. I, I hope you can get just a glimpse of the magnitude of that statement. To suffering and death. Let's go into the Old Testament. Let's go, let's go to Isaiah 50, verses 6 and 7. Talking of the Savior. Talking of Him who is to come. I gave my back to those who struck me. My cheeks to those who plucked out the beard. I did not hide my face from shame and spitting. For the Lord will help me. Therefore, I will not be disgraced. Therefore, I have set my face like a flint. And I know that I will not be ashamed. Jesus determined to accomplish the work that God the Father had laid before Him, determined to give His life a ransom, determined to set captives free from their sin. John 15, 13. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. With great love, Jesus set his face to Jerusalem. With great love, Jesus looked to the cross, to the joy that was set before him. Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin so which, which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, fixed on Jerusalem, His face set toward the cross. For Him, it was a joy to honor His Father in obedience to His calling. Was He filled with joy knowing that He was going to go and suffer such anguish upon a cross? No, the, the joy was in knowing what that suffering would accomplish. Because we know, and as you read this week, as you read the story, we we know Gethsemane crying out to the Father, 
Lord, if be if, if possible, let this cup pass from me in such anguish that that sweat mingled with blood, such anguish as he considered the pain and the suffering that was coming, yet in spite of all that, with joy, knowing of what this was going to accomplish. John 10, verses 17 and 18. Therefore, my Father loves me, because I lay down my life that I may take it again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of myself. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it again. This command I received from my Father. Oh, they killed him because it must happen, it had to happen. To be the sacrificial lamb. That had to happen. But Jesus willingly laid down his life. Don't ever lose sight of that. Because at any moment in time. He could have cried out to the father. Send the angels to come. And get me out of here. He set his face to the work. That lay before him. He set his face to Jerusalem. He set his face to the cross. And so we, may we remember what Christ did, child of God, on our behalf. Remember what He did. Remember what He is yet doing. And remember what He will yet do. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word and Man, it, it, it's the gospel. It's the gospel message of Jesus coming to give Himself a sacrifice for sin. And again, I pray that should there be someone who has listened to the sermon and they're yet lost, they're yet in their sin, that Father, that You would have mercy you would pour out your spirit upon them that you would give them faith that they might believe and in believing and, and seeing you most holy God would tremble and fall before you recognizing that they're a sinner and apart from saving grace they, they, they then recognize their destiny without Christ and so, Father, as they would be before You in trembling and fear, Father, relieve that fear by granting them repentance through Jesus Christ. Remind them of the Gospel. Remind them of the words they have heard probably over and over again. Remind them that as they come and receive Christ, by faith believing, receive Christ and, and confess their sins to You, Lord. Receiving Christ and turning from their sin and following You. Lord, perform a miracle of, of mercy and grace and salvation that only You can do. And Father, for those of us who are in Christ, Lord, help us that we might 
share the gospel to a lost and dying world. That we would not be ashamed. That we could speak truth in love. Love knowing full well that, that apart from your Holy Spirit that the message of the cross is nothing but foolishness to them. That, that the Bible is nothing but a, a fake book. It's just a bunch of made up myths. So Lord, help us to just present the truth when you would ask us to. And Father, allow you to do the work. So Lord, help us to sow the seeds of the gospel. We know that it is you, Lord, that would bring about true spiritual renewal and growth. So help us, Father, as we honor you, as we honor Christ and of his great sacrifice. Help us, I pray, in Christ's name. Amen.